Well, good morning, all of you. Thank you for being here today. And uh, we're going to be jumping right into the message today, um, because despite this being the shortest book in the entire Bible, uh, there's a lot to say about this. Uh, this is Third John that we're jumping in today. And if you want to start opening up to there now, uh, this is just towards the end of your Bible, right, right before Revelation and Jude. Uh, but Third John, this is kind of like the postcard from the Apostle John that he's uh, sending out with one uh, really clear message to all who read it. But I want to give you a warning today. <clears throat> and the warning is this, that you were all followed here today. You were followed here today by something you cannot see, but everyone else can. You're followed by something today that you cannot outrun. And no matter how far you travel in life, this thing is going to travel further than you. You can't get away from it. It's going to be with you all the way to the point of your death and even after you die. And everything you understand about this thing is just a small percentage of what other people know about this thing. You're followed today, of course, by your reputation. And that's the theme as we go through this book today is that everybody has a reputation. They're real and they matter. And I know there's a large part of our reputations that we can't control or maybe we don't deserve, but we're talking today specifically about our earned reputations. When people see how you act and talk, when they understand your motives and how you think, there's a reputation you build that people have a reasonable expectation of how you're going to act in certain circumstances. And so if you're a Vikings fan today with heart issues, I recommend you don't watch the football game this afternoon because the Vikings have earned the reputation of having an anxiety-filled game. But 2 John is a, a book that mentioned nobody by name, and now in 3 John, we meet three people by name, and all of them have a reputation that they've earned. And now we're talking about their reputations 2,000 years after they died. Reputations matter, and we all have one. We need to work extra hard to earn a good one. It's in Proverbs 22 that we read that a good name is more desirable than great riches, and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Reputations are real, and they matter. Let's pray before we read and study today. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the word you have today that's going to be challenging for many of us, but that this is your truth given to us, meant to shape us and inform us. And we thank you for all of the good examples we have in our lives and we've had through the years. And so, God, I pray that we can learn from that and, and emulate that. And ultimately, we would uh, strive to be like you, our greatest example. Um, but God, we pray for those whose reputations have failed them and, and failed you. And if that's any one of us here today, God, I pray that we can reverse that and that we can be working in a way that honors you above all other people. Um, but God, I just pray for this, this study as we go through it, this, this little short book that has so much in it. And may you just speak to us where, we at, where we're at today. And uh, God, the, the most important things we can walk away with after the, after the service today. But I also pray for some other things in our community, and, and we just entrust them to you. Uh, we pray for uh, Ray Ekdahl, who continues to be 
in the uh, hospital. They continue to uh, just heal him from pneumonia and COVID and, and be with the doctors there. Uh, we also pray for Scott McCown, who's continuing to recover, and we thank you for the great news that the tumors in his brain were, were benign. Uh, but we also know there's a, still a long road to recovery with the surgery and everything he's going through and going to be in the ICU for the, uh, for the uh, next couple weeks. And so we pray for that and uh, just continue to, to heal him in that situation. But for all of us here today, God, I just pray that wherever we're at, whether we've been walking this road with you our whole life or we're just starting on it, that you'd speak to us exactly where we're at, the truths that are important, the truths that are life-changing God, that you would shape us, inform us in that, and that we'd be set free in that. And so we pray all of this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to read the whole book, all 14 verses of this to start. Um, but just another plug here, if you've been enjoying Second and Third John, uh, know that we, we did a whole message on First John about two years ago. And so you can uh, re-listen to all of that if you'd like online, or if you want to study through this, our, our Thursday night men's study is actually studying 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John uh, over a six-week period. They just started it this last week, so you can jump in on that one as well uh, if, you're, if you're a man. And, uh, and that's Thursday nights at 6 p.m. here at the church. So but let's read this together now, 3rd John, verses 1 through 14. The Elder... To my dear friend Gaius, whom I, have lo- whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And dear friend, you are faithful in what you do and what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. So we just met three people, Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. And all of them have a reputation that not only was well known in the time, but has been written in the book of life and are known now for all eternity. And we can learn a lot about these reputations they have and a key lesson for us today as we navigate 
through life and the faith. But the first one we're going to look at is Gaius. And he's really detailed in verses 1 through 8. And, and just a little bit on all three of these people. Everything we know about them, we just read. So Gaius is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except these verses here today. And what we can conclude is that Gaius was a very generous, very genuine, and very faithful person. We start out with kind of seeing the relationship between John and Gaius, and and John refers to himself as the elder, and and Gaius is one in a church probably around the area of Ephesus that John had visited and has some relationships there. John being the elder, the leader, the one with authority, but also a personal relationship with Gaius, is writing this letter to really encourage him and tell him to keep doing what he's doing. And right up at the front here, we see this little prayer that's offered from John for Gaius that says, I pray that you enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along. What this means here is that his soul is in a really good place. And translated a little bit differently, this could say, Gaius, I pray that your physical health is the same or as good as your spiritual health. So he's this genuine believer who really loves God, who may be having some health issues. And he says, I pray your physical health is the same as your spiritual health. And I thought about that for a moment, just this example of Gaius and that John could offer this prayer in the hopes that God would answer it. But what if God prayed that for us, for each of you? Or what if someone prayed that for you and God answered it, that your physical health would be the same as your spiritual health. Your physical health were the same as your spiritual health. And God answered it. Would that make you nervous? Where would you be if God answered that prayer? Would you be at the place for your peak physical condition, running an Ironman triathlon, or would you be in the ICU or the morgue? The first thing we see here is that if you're a genuine person before God, is that your soul is in a good place. We call that soul health. This really means that the light and the life of Christ is vibrant and alive in you. It doesn't necessarily mean you're perfect, but it means that you love God deeply, and it's evident in your life. Gaius was a genuine person. And then we go on in verses 3 and 4. We see John kind of detail the things that Gaius is doing in this church. He said, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. And I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. It's kind of neat here that verse 4 of 3 John and verse Four of Second John are nearly identical, that, that John has this great joy to hear that his children, and what this probably means is his disciples, are walking in the truth. That they're continuing day by day to walk in the truth of Jesus. See that Gaius is faithful to the truth. So this journey he started with Christ maybe years or decades ago with John, he's continuing to walk in it, faithful, day by day, step by step. And now John is hearing about this reputation hundreds of of miles away 
that this man named Gaius is continuing and faithful in all that he's doing. Talk about a reputation. All right? Now, our reputations might go outside of our communities somewhat, but this is going hundreds of miles away. And we continue to read in verses 5 and 6 that he's faithful not only in the truth, this is what he believes, but he's faithful in what he's doing. This is how he behaves, his actions. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Now, there's not many uh, letters in the New Testament that are written to a specific person. We have a lot of them that are written to whole churches or kind of circulars of, of, of areas of churches. But we have some that are written to people. We have First uh, and Second Timothy, which is written to Paul's ministry partner, who is kind of the head honcho in Ephesus. He's kind of like the megachurch pastor there, and Paul is writing all of this encouragement to Timothy to keep going there. You've got the a letter of Titus. Again, this is Paul writing to the man Titus, who's kind of a church planter on the island of Crete, and so he's establishing all of these churches on this island. And then you have Gaius, who's being written to specifically for what he's doing in the ministry. And so you assume Gaius must be really important like Timothy and Titus. He must have been the guy that went to seminary and, and evangelized thousands of people and has built this megachurch from the ground up. But it's detailed exactly what Gaius is doing to be faithful. He's providing some beds and some meals. He's showing hospitality to the people who are out on the streets telling people about Jesus. We have no idea if he's talented in speaking or preaching. We have no idea if he's a leader in the church, but he's showing hospitality to strangers, and he's doing it very faithfully. We see that Gaius is a man that's gifted specifically, and he's being faithful to the opportunities he has. And it's pretty clear that not all of us have the gift of hospitality. I can tell you for sure that I don't. If uh, any of you wanted to come over to my house for lunch after church today, I'm sure I could be talked into that. But you're probably going to get a frozen pizza from Holiday Gas Station and uh, maybe some uh, pre-wrapped Twinkies or something. But I know there's some of you here who have the gift of hospitality. If you were sprung on this, someone coming to your house after the church service today, you would have a five-course meal that somehow you have prepared with centerpieces and a very comfy environment. Some people have the gift, some people don't. Ben Franklin once said, there's two things that stink after three days. Fish and house guests. Ben Franklin did not have the gift of hospitality. But Gaius did. And he used it faithfully. And it was so profound and impactful to these traveling missionaries that they went back and told John's church all about this love from this man named Gaius, who supported these missionaries in their efforts. The reality of this time is that hospitality was incredibly important for the missionaries and the evangelists to do their work. And it's not like today where in every town you might have a hotel and a dining establishment. There's really nothing like that. So you could fund a missionary 
as well as you wanted, but if nobody in the towns took them in and gave them a bed and gave them a meal, the mission stopped. So they needed people to be kind to even strangers who they did not know, like Gaius did. And this helped this mission to continue, these churches to be planted. We see here in verse 8 this commendation from the Apostle John saying, Keep showing hospitality to such people that we would work together for the truth. Now, the verse before this, verse 7, talks about that, that these missionaries didn't have to rely on the pagans for their help. And this is one of those things you might think it would be good for them to actually live in the home of an unbeliever to have that relationship. But there's a couple things at play here. And when they go into a town and they'd set up a ministry center, they had to be very careful of who they partnered with because they would be associated with the person and their reputation. And so if it wasn't a believer, there's kind of a wild card of who you'd get. And if it looks like you're partnering with someone who has a very bad reputation in town, then the message could be compromised. But it's also, when you would have assistance from these pagans, it's kind of like accepting dirty money in today's day and age. If they're giving you a favor, but they might be expecting something back from you that, again, can compromise the message. So hospitality was of the utmost importance. It's why you see it as a commandment throughout the New Testament that every missionary and evangelist and church planter needed the hospitality of believers for their ministry to grow. So there's this encouragement, Gaius, to keep doing exactly what you're doing as we work together for the truth. That's a message and a commandment for all of us here today is that we all, as believers, work together for the truth. We all have different parts in that work. And Gaius was the behind-the-scenes kind of guy, the, the kind of guy that you could say, well, it's nice to have a guy like that, but we don't really need him. We need people like Gaius, and everyone works together. That's the, the key lesson we learn from Gaius and his reputation. As we cannot choose how God gifts us, but we can choose if and how we use those gifts. And that is absolutely a biblical idea that's said in a few different ways at a few different times. Probably the most uh, well-known are Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12. These are all by the Apostle Paul that talks about how the body works together in unity as each person uses their gifts. But I just want to read, to reiterate this point, a little portion from Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. And this again as he's talking about all the gifts that are given to all the different believers. Paul says, We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And to sum all that up, you could just give the Nike slogan. Just do it. Just use your gift. And you can't choose how God has graciously gifted you, but when he's given you the gift, there's the expectation that you use it, and you don't squander the opportunities 
you're given. Gaius has this commendable reputation now 2,000 years later because he used the gift that he was given, and he used it to the best of his ability to work together for the truth. I read this week a a quote that I'd never heard. There is no limit to how much good you can do if you do not care who gets the credit. We can all work together in some way, and some people are going to be the upfront people receiving all of the attention. Some people are behind the scenes, but we can do so much good if you don't care who gets the credit. And now we hinge to the exact opposite of example of that here in Diotrephes. Again, this is a man that we don't know anything about except these two verses, and what we learn is not good. Diotrephes was a man who had the reputation of being selfish and malicious. And we see right away that that he's in charge of one of these churches. I don't know if it's the church of Gaius or a, a neighboring church of him, but Diotrephes is the guy with a lot of power and control here. And he received the letter from John as he was hoping to visit, and Diotrephes blocked it from the rest of the congregation. and gives John the cold shoulder. Diotrephes was a man with an ego. He was selfish. And as we read here, he loved to be first. You know, the, John the Baptist had a prayer that we all know of Jesus, more of you and less of me. But Diotrephes had the mindset of more and more and more of me. He needed to be the big guy. And it appears that he was very jealous of John. He had his dominating and manipulative spirit. He was controlling. He would censor what the rest of the congregation would see and hear. He was malicious. So not only did he block John from talking to this congregation, but then he started spreading false rumors and this malicious gossip about him. It's kind of a, a hit attack. We know how quickly gossip can destroy a church. But this wasn't innocent gossip. This was vicious, it was calculated, and it was for the sheer purpose of destroying John's reputation. And Diotrephes wasn't going to stop at anything to get his way, even if it meant slandering the apostle who probably started this church. But as the famous infomercial guy once said, but wait, there's more. If that wasn't bad enough, we, we find out that this, this guy not only blocked John from coming, but he blocked any other believer from coming, any outsider into the congregation. And this could mean evangelists or just believers in general. He wanted a controlled community that he could be completely in charge of. Not only did he block them from coming in, but then anyone inside of this congregation who wanted outsiders to come in would also get kicked out. And this is the, pla- the, the classic power grab here. He controlled absolutely everything and every voice. And outsiders posed a threat to what he had built. Now, this is a guy you don't want to look up to. But here's my assumption in all of this. Diatrophies was probably 
an incredibly gifted and talented person. He probably spoke very well. He was probably very devoted to this church. He was the first one there and the last one gone. He had great relationships with everyone inside of this community. And everyone inside would say, what's the big deal with Diotrephes? He's been here from the beginning. He works hard. He's a great speaker. Because the issue was not his doctrine. It was not his gifting. It was his pride. It was his motives. He had a heart problem that John could see, but probably others couldn't. We don't know much about him, but we know that his issue were his motives, his selfishness, and his pride. He lost sight of the big picture of what church and ministry were all about. And that's the lesson we all need to take from Diotrephes today. Is that ministry is only effective if it's first about he, God, then it's about we, each other, but it's never about me. The moment you put me in ministry is when it fails. Ministry always has to be about God's glory first, our edification second, and nothing thereafter. Demetrius was a guy who made it all about himself. And that's a a question we need to ask ourselves. If you're serving in the church, well, first of all, if you're not serving in any kind of ministry, maybe ask yourself why. But second, if you are serving, ask yourself, why? Is it for the wrong reasons? Am I doing this because I need the affirmation or the attention of others? Am I doing this because I've been guilted into it? Am I doing this because I seek some sort of power and control, even over a small part of the church? Am I doing this because I'm jealous of other people? And I might not be gifted like them, but I want to have the attention like them. And the list could go on and on and on of the wrong reasons to serve in ministry. And unfortunately, bad motives are all too common in church. Every church has has people serving with bad motives, except ours. I'm talking about all the other churches out there. (laughs) But this is a, a problem we see often, and sometimes it can be a little problem. Sometimes, in this case, it can be a huge problem. But the solution always lies in yourself. Ask yourself why you're serving and evaluate your motives. And if you can't recalibrate your priorities and your motives in the ministries, then it might be better that you don't serve at all. Make it first about God and then about us and others, but never about yourself. And I tell you often, when I prepare for a message, I like to read a lot of different commentaries. And, and I always try to read commentaries from people who are in or were previously in ministry as a pastor, because I think you see things in a slightly different way. And one of them, uh, Daniel Aiken is his name, has a, has a short commentary on this. And he uh, talked about uh, something he did in his denomination. He wrote a letter uh, about Diotrephes. And he did it kind of in a coy way of, I've just become aware of this man who's dangerous in the ministry. He doesn't, never shares the name Diotrephes, but he, he talks about how selfish he was, how controlling he was in his church, and how he's not having any help from any outside person, especially people of authority. And he, he writes this short uh, paper for his denominational newsletter. 
and almost 20 pastors write in calling for it to be removed because they viewed it as a personal attack on them from this pastor. I think that just goes to show that we need to be mindful of our actions, our words, and our motives as people. They can get away from us if we don't keep them in check, but all of them will, in the end, earn you a reputation. And Diotrephes, unfortunately, has a bad one that's going to live forever. But now we kind of get a sandwich here of good, bad, good. And now we're introduced to this man named Demetrius, who has one verse about him in all of the Bible. But what we know is that he's consistently a godly and a good example for others. Verse 12 says, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. Why he's spoken well of, we can only guess and assume. But what I like about Demetrius is that everyone who met him had something to good something good to say about him. Now, I've never met a Demetrius in my life. But kind of a funny story is, is that people get my name wrong a lot. Uh, Dominic is not, used to not be a common name. It's more common now. But I, the three most common names I'm called are Derek, Donovan, and Demetrius. I've been called Demetrius a lot in my life. But after learning about this guy, I kind of take that as a compliment. Demetrius was just a really good, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. And we see that there's three testimonies or people who speak well of, of Demetrius. Everyone that meets him speaks well of him. And this means that Demetrius isn't some kind of chameleon where he's a different person here than he is there. His public and his private life are the same. He doesn't live with secrets. He's just a consistently good person to be around. The truth itself speaks well of Demetrius. And this means that he measures up to God's standards, relatively speaking. He's not going to be a perfect guy, but he lives above reproach. He doesn't have like these shadowy, dark areas in his life that he needs to hide from other people. And everyone from John's church speaks well of him as well. And this shows that the people that know him absolutely the best have nothing bad to say about him. And it's likely that Demetrius was the one carrying this letter to Ephesus. And this served as kind of a commendation for him. And it's like, we're telling you he's a good guy, and you can trust us. But the lesson we, we learn from Demetrius is this, is that if you want a good reputation, be the same person wherever you go. And also, work towards being the type of person that you would want others to be. Because people are watching you. This is especially true for parents. You know this. Your kids are watching you, and they're mimicking you. But as a believer, you bear your own name, but you also bear the name of Christ. We become Christ's ambassadors wherever we go. And be like Demetrius, that whoever you meet would have the good things to say about you. We all need those godly examples in our life, and Demetrius would be one of those. But there's one kind of sneaky fourth person that I've, I really noticed something uh, impactful to me this time when I read through, and that's the Apostle John and how he really navigated through, through all of this. And he gives the last verse or two, or he's just basically saying, you know, that's enough writing for now. 
I want to see you face to face and the common peace to you and we send your greetings. And these are the verses, honestly, I sometimes just kind of skip over and, and then just go on to the, the next thing. But there's some really important things in here. Really important as you understand the reputation of who John is, that he's pastoral and he's peace loving. And first of all, it's that he has every intention to go see them. But we learn earlier in this book why he's going to see them. He's going to confront Diotrephes. This really icky situation. John is going to confront him and to call attention to what he's doing. That really hit me kind of hard because there's two ways we usually go through conflict as Christians. First is the most common, which is just to completely avoid it. Pretend it doesn't exist. Someone gets mad and it's like, well, you just take what you want and I don't want to upset you anymore and it was just peace between us, right? We're good. Okay, we'll just ignore this ever happened. And that's not good because it encourages the person who's acting inappropriately to continue acting inappropriately. But the other way we go about it is we're going to really make them pay for what they did. And I'm going I'm to really call them out and I hope that they just leave the church and never come back. And that's bad, too. But John, like, this is the apostle of love, right? And love and peace and truth are at the, at the center of his message and all he says. He's going to talk with Diotrephes in this church. And he says, peace to you. His first priority in all of this is peace. And I think we need to be willing to confront inappropriate behavior for one purpose, peace, reconciliation, working together for the truth. I, I, I believe that John is going with this hope that I'm going to win this brother Diotrephes back. We're going to have a real honest conversation, and I want him to really change his mind here, to reconcile with me and others, and to be a part of this mission again. And it's entirely possible if you go about it the right way. The other thing I noticed in this is something I never knew until I studied this last week. The last words of this is that the friends of that church send their greetings to this church, and they were to greet those friends by name. Did you know that nowhere else in all of the New Testament do believers refer to each other as friends than right here? This is the only place that believers refer to each other as friends, they refer usually as brothers and sisters. And, and I really thought about that for a second, the tough stuff that's going on here and what he's about to go do and confront. Brothers and sisters are not an, an optional relationship. When you have someone as a sibling, you may not like them, you may not talk to them, but they're always your sibling. But a friend is an optional endeavor. It's something you have to choose, it's something you have to work for, and it's something you have to maintain. He wants to go here in an, in an effort of peace and friendship. That says something. Because he could have just wrote back to Diotrephes and told him off and said, you know what, enough with that, I'm done. But he's going this extra mile for peace and friendship. That's, that's the lesson for us here today. If you want a good re reputation, then go the extra mile to do the difficult things the right way and for the right reasons. Sometimes the hardest things are the most necessary. And here, 
John is living out the commandment of Jesus to do all you can to win people back for the truth. John was pastoral and peace-loving in what he did. And he calls them friends. But as we end today, I think there's a lot we can take away, a lot that we can chew on, but know this. You have a reputation that goes far beyond you, and you know very little of it. There's some things you can't control, but there's a lot you can. Earn a good reputation today and live the life today that you hope people will describe at your funeral. Gaius shows us the importance of being faithful and being generous in all you do. Don't squander the opportunities you have. When God has gifted you, you have an opportunity to use it. Diotrephes shows us the danger of misaligned motives. That he was doing things out of selfishness and, and pride. Living the Christian life means living beyond yourself. But in God first and others second. Demetrius shows us that it's good to be a very consistent person. Wherever you go, you hope that everyone speaks about you generally in the same way. And John shows us that we need to be people who truly know what's most important, that we work beyond our own hurts, and we work towards peace and reconciliation and friendship and all things. But most important today, I just want to say this. It is important what other people think of us based on what we earn, but what's most important and what's eternally important is what God thinks of you. And I'll tell you this, that no matter how much good you do in this life, no matter how consistent you are, none of it matters unless you have faith and hope in Jesus Christ. When you place your faith in Jesus, then you are covered with the righteousness of God, which means that God sees you through the righteousness of his Son. And that's how he sees you forever. What matters most foremost, is your faith in Jesus Christ, that you will fall short in everything you do in this life, but he can cover that with his grace and his mercy as you have faith in him. That's the reputation that really matters. It's how God thinks of you now and for eternity, and it comes through faith in his son. That's the truth that we all work together for. Let's pray as we close. God, I just want to uh, just take a moment to say that a message like this is hard to give uh, because I fall short too. And uh, we all make mistakes. We say things we regret. We do things that we wish we could have done differently. But the reality is, God, you are a a God of of grace and of mercy. And uh, God, you have gifted us all in, in very special and unique ways for a specific purpose. So God, I pray that we as a body would come to the mindset of knowing that you are better than us at everything. You know more than us. And that you give us opportunities that for some reason you include us in your ministry. But God, I just pray that we continue to rely on you and your strength and your provision in all things. But I pray for us who for whatever reason have misaligned our motives and and our passions and our affections, our priorities, that you would help us put them straight today, that we would put you first in absolutely everything, and that we would be doing things for the betterment of others. We love others above ourselves, but take from us, away from us all these hints of selfishness and pride and, 
and ulterior motives. But God, we just trust that to you. So these reputations that we, that we studied today, may we learn something from that and know that, God, you're building a reputation through us as your ambassadors as well. So pray that you do your work and we can get out of the way of that. But God, I pray for all these things. And I just help us to go on our way today in, in your truth and your love. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.